I've sung to a patient before, <laughs> sung my patient a song um, who was a patient who was dying. The daughter said that um, she really loved physical song. I think it was like Amazing Grace or might have been um, uh, Howard Morrison's song. How great they are. I think it was one of those. And, and so I just said, how would you write a folk song? And, and she just had this little tear that rolled down her eyes and yeah, I've got a thank you note saying it was beautiful. And just things like that, yeah. There's been some cool moments. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. I'm Andy Dixon. It's good to have you here. I've had a heap of feedback on the last episode with Andrew Judd saying how much it made you all think and how people resonated with what he was saying, particularly Pākehā people. Many of you said that it brought up interesting things for you to go away and chew over, which is just fantastic. Also a huge congratulations to Andrew and all the others who worked so hard to get the law changed about the removal of Māori wards. The government had just announced their intention to make this change when we talked, uh, but this week they've actually gone and done it. If you haven't listened to it yet, I would totally recommend you do, as there is so much division around this issue of Māori wards and so much confusion as well. And Andrew manages to talk about it with so much sense and calmness. Uh, I also wrote some short things about it on social media, so you can go check out that too if you want to. But to this week, I had the very great pleasure of sitting down with longtime friend Hannah Sheath, who some of you will know from her singing as Hannah Donald, and we talked about her life as a paramedic. Maybe it's the seriousness of the job, but I don't think I've laughed this much ever while recording an episode. In saying that, due to the nature of her paramedic role, we do discuss trauma of various kinds that may be triggering for some people. Um, no details, just generic conversations. And for Christchurch people, that includes discussions around the earthquakes and the mosque shootings. But if you need to stop listening, take a breath, please look after yourself. Please go and do that. Uh, this also applies as we get to discussing Hannah's traumatic pregnancies near the end too. We talk about what the job entails, what keeps Hannah doing it, what brings her joy in the midst of all the hurt, some of the lighter, more humorous moments of her career, and her empathy towards her patients through having had her own trauma through her pregnancies. We cover the Christchurch earthquakes, the mosque shootings, and the Fakati White Island eruptions as well, um, and how she was involved in each of those situations. It'll make you laugh, cry, and everything in between. This is episode 22 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Hannah Sheath. Here today with Hannah Sheath. Kia ora, Hannah. Kia ora. Uh, why don't you start just by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are, where you're from, a uh, little bit so we can get to know you. Sure. Um, I'm Hannah. I live in Christchurch. Um, I was born in Invercargill, but don't hold that against me. Um, I probably you still roll your R's? I, uh, when I'm really tired, I'll go purple girl skirt, but I try yeah. not to. <laughs> I don't know why. I think I used to get harassed, so I just kind yeah. of kept it at bay, but... Not, not so much now, um, but probably spent most of my life in Auckland, and I'm a paramedic and a musician. My husband and I sing in a duo together, um, and we have two boys. Yeah, 
and we're pretty settled here in And a new kitten. And a new kitten, a new baby. It's like having a newborn baby. Except you don't have to change its nappies. No, we do have to change its kitty litter though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> cool, so uh, I wanted to talk to you today because you are a par paramedic and talk a bit about that um, part of your life. As I was writing down my question, I was writing paramedic, and then I thought ambulance officer or ambo. Ambulance uh, do, driver. Do, do all of those words data. mean the same thing, or is is there different, There's different levels, levels of stuff? Yeah, so do you want to just describe that? Yeah, sure. So, um, how, so I work for St John, and how we start is uh, we kind of start as a first aider. So it all depends on you know what medications you can give, and yep. you know what um, what essentially what you can do. Uh, first aiders are awesome, they can do CPR, they can save lives. Um, and then you move up the level to um, an EMT or an emergency medical technician. Um, and that requires a diploma in yep. ambulance practice and then you go to paramedic level. Um, and some, I initially started doing an in internal course through St John, um, but then I went and got my Bachelor of Health Science and Paramedicine degree. Um, and then there's uh, an ALS officer or advanced life support uh, paramedic there's also another name called an ILS which is an intermediate life support and an advanced paramedic or a an ALS is advanced life support and they do post-grad um, and further study so it oh. takes a, a bit of, a bit of mm. time there's a lot of um, experience and skills that they need you to kind of prove before you get to the next levels yeah yeah and it just means more drugs more skills more responsibility yeah so i match the paramedic um ils yeah and i've just finished my postgrad with the awesome. intentions of doing the advanced yeah. side of things but i don't know <laughs> cool don't know. so so it's a lot more than just driving ambulances yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot more than just being a taxi, and sometimes yeah. we do get called ta your ta your taxi's here, and it's like I haven't gone to yeah. university to be yeah. a taxi driver. And but then a lot of taxi drivers have gone to university, and they have some of them are doctors. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it's definitely more than just driving an ambulance yeah. and driving someone to hospital uh, from home to hospital or wherever to hospital. Yeah. Is yeah, we do a lot of you know s skills yeah. and. Yeah. So, so when you say you did all that, you've done all that study. Is that while you were doing the job? Yeah, yeah, all on on the job kind of training. And having a family. And having a family. That yep. sounds pretty full on. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. Yeah, I don't. Man, yeah, I look back and go, what was I thinking? Good, good Not husband support. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the kids are amazing. Yeah. And my external family. Yeah. My sisters, mum and dad have. We wouldn't have been able to do it without, without them mm. as well. So, yeah, it's been a big family support to help me get to where I've That's where pretty cool because like in the Western <coughs> world, often the family means like the immediate family. But listening to you, it's like you've achieved so much more because you've had that wider whānau view of family or that they've had that view that they want to help you and help look after the kids. And Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, when I think of my parents, they've, they've always wanted us to succeed and do mm. whatever we want to do and they've mm. always been supportive and proud and and yeah they've done a lot for for our kids and I, I remind them that looking after grandchildren actually delays things like dementia and Alzheimer's so, <laughs> right, so, so I'm doing everything got, to help them too. You've got some medical expertise to yeah. back up your need of them. <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no, no, they love it. And, uh, yeah, we, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So it's it's been incredible. And that's the whole reason why we moved down yeah. from Auckland as well. My family are here in Christchurch. And being in Auckland, we had a preemie baby and just having no support there yeah, right. or no family support. We had, you know, church support but no family mm. support. And, yeah, we just couldn't really do it. And so decided to come down. So good move. Yeah, cool. What got you interested in becoming a paramedic? My dad was an ambulance officer and he used to park the ambulance in the back in our driveway. So when we were living in Mosgirl, he became a volunteer ambulance officer and he used to like get paged out and he'd go and we'd be on like we'd be listening on the scanner thing. Like he bought the mm. scanner to be listening and we could hear him talking and it was just like I thought, man, that's so super cool mm. what he's doing. Um, and his inspiration came from my mum who um, got electrocuted um, in our house. Wow. Uh, we just moved into a house and the, the bench was live or had been mixed with the, the water or the, so the water Jeez. electrical. Yeah. <laughs> so she touched it, got electrocuted, and none of us knew what to do. Um, we had to look up the phone book for 111. I was 10. I fully remember like just just going, what's going on, what's going on, and none of us knew first aid. Dad didn't know how to do CPR, so he had to get instructions mm. on how to give CPR. And then the volunteer ambulance officers came, and and that's what his um, inspiration came, yeah, was right. I could do this, I need to do this. Mm. Like, the idea of being able to help somebody, yeah, and then I kind of fed off that, is, um, wow, just, that's so cool that he's able to do that, and yeah, so I started in high school um, through work experience when we, you know, you could go out and do whatever you wanted, and I hung out at the ambulance station in Rosgirl. Right. <laughs> and what's cool. weird is this, there's this guy called Salwin, who was the the station manager in Mosgirl. Um and yeah, he would let me come out and I'd go to jobs and be an observer, so I couldn't do anything. And then a couple of weeks ago, because I work on the clinical desk, so in in the communication centre, so. Um, Ambulance officers from all over the country can ring, especially those that live in rural areas who mm -hmm. don't have, like they either work um, with essentially what we call an EMA, which is an, an emergency medical um, off, uh, assistant. So um, they kind of assist and mm. they'll drive the ambulance. So I don't want to call so them drivers. So they don't have fully trained support? No, so yeah. they, they can be anyone. Yeah. Um, and, and then you've got the paramedics. So essentially the paramedics kind of working alone and needs somebody else to feed off. So they'll call the clinical desk and they'll just chat about the job and when we'll give them ideas or we'll give them suggestions or um, I can give out-of-scope medication. So within my own scope, I can mm. give authority for other people to do that. And Salwin rang me a couple of weeks ago oh, wow. and um, was talking because he's working in a rural area. And was and He didn't know it was me, uh, but I knew that it was him. And it was just just kind of, after the call, I just sat back and went, wow, when I was 14, you know, here's him teaching me his skills. And now here he is asking me for advice. That's it was cool. so weird. It was yeah. so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. And I, I spoke to my dad because my dad knew him. Yeah. And then he told him and he was just like, oh, that's so cool. I must, yeah. you know, look where Hannah's come and it must have been me. And he, took, he was taking all of the... The glory for it, it was cute. Yeah. but it was just it was really funny to be this 14 year old girl and yeah. like just thinking of this guy like wow he's amazing like he's saving people's lives and now here I am giving mm. back to him it was it was, mm. it was just really really bizarre it was cool though yeah so what help us understand what a regular shift would look like 
so we work shift worked obviously so we do four days on four days off um, two day shift two night shifts um, and I do a block on the road in the ambulance um, and the follow the next block I'll work in comms yeah so depending on the shift a roadblock um, I'm now on a what's called a precepting role so I teach other people to become paramedics or, or help them to progress to that last final stage mm. so they've gone and done their degree um, they've got a bit of experience and now I'm kind of overseeing them and making sure that they're safe and signing them off to be able to sit that last exam cool um, so it's an important role and you know I don't profess to know everything and it's not just about the knowledge but it is about the experience as well so mm. we do a lot there, there's no specialized area that we work with so so doctors become surgeons or they work solely with surgery or solely with certain areas mm. you know cardiac surgeons brain surgeons where we're doing everything mm. and so we have to have a wide range you of can't, knowledge you can't just go and pick up heart patients no and we're not just doing medical stuff but we're doing mental health as well of course so yeah. yeah we're going to a lot of mental health stuff and you know and it's not just people who've done stuff but thoughts of doing stuff so you've got yeah. to you know and it takes a lot of experience to know how to talk to somebody mm. out of that stage or out of doing what they want or what you know what they've called for mm. um and yeah it d definitely takes a lot of experience to to yeah and so people that are coming out of degrees aren't necessarily taught that kind of thing yeah so yeah so that's kind of my role is to to just work alongside them to to teach them to help them with their skills and knowledge and and then yeah to help them progress to that last final stage and then on the desk my role is to scan through all of the jobs um, and so when you ring 111 you go through this kind of questions and it pops out this priority based on the questions that you've answered and then I go through and as a clinician just look at that and go hmm that doesn't sound like that should be a lower priority it should be higher mm. so I can ring them back and ask them whatever question I like but making sure that I've got a like a table that I just have to kind of tick off but we can talk to them like we're there with them yeah where call handlers are very you know they have to work on answering this question in a certain way yep. and it's just a quick fire questions to get this priority where we could spend a little bit more time um so we give advice um over the phone and so we'll go actually i don't think you need an ambulance i think you just need to put a bandage on it and drive yourself up to the medical yep. center and here's the medical center and and um oh hey i'll just let them know that you're coming and do that kind of thing yeah cool um do the same for doctors so we contact gps and go, I think we, you know, do you want me to make an appointment for your doctor? And then we'll go and organise that. Yep. Or, like I said for earlier, for rural guys who, um, you know, they don't have paramedics or advanced paramedics, so we've got to try and help them mm. with the sick patient that they've got in front of them and allow them to do skills that they they have been trained, they've been shown how to do it, but they just kind of need guidance mm. on is this the right situation to be able to give it um, and then just reminding them and kind of working through with them to give it or any other kind of advice or even to just talk about a job. Like sometimes you can be quite stuck and go, actually, I have no idea what's going on with you. Mm. Um, and here in metro areas, we've got our other offside at about off. Like, is there any other thing that you can think of? Is there anything I've missed where some of these rural guys don't mm. have that? So we're yeah. that kind of, yeah, we can chat on the phone. Mm. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, a typical that, day. That involves a lot more than 
I guess a lot of people would think. Yeah, a lot of people yeah just think we are really ambulance drivers. We're just coming into um, registration now too, so um, we we would be registered medical practitioners. So we right. we kind of work under a medical director uh, with St John, which we still will, but um, now we're going to be recognised as registered, like nurses are registered yep. and registered medical practitioners. So I think the expectation of ambulance or paramedicine is, is going to be a lot mm. higher now because um, mm. anyone can be a paramedic anyone can start up an ambulance service right um, but now there's going to be yeah a definite stage mm. that you have to be at which is good it's going to mm. eliminate a lot of people that think that they can do it <laughs> yeah but it, it's yeah it's definitely a lot more involved and mm. i know you guys moved down to christchurch after the earthquakes so yep. you went around for those but were you involved at all on the day of the mosque shootings? Um, it was a day off for me, but as soon as it happened, um, we just kind of call up and say, hey, we're free, and they're like, yep, come in. So we, um, so I came in pretty much as it was happening. Mm. Um, and when I was driving to work, I was going, oh, my gosh, like, they haven't actually caught the guy. <laughs> mm, true. Um, and here I am driving into... Into the city. Into the city, which was on lockdown. Yeah. Um, and even where, you know, outer cities were in lockdown. Mm. Kaiapoi, Rangiora, they were all in lockdown. Um, and so I was dealing with a lot of the aftermath of it. So a couple of the patients presented to the 24 hours. So I had to go and pick them up and bring mm. them to hospital because hospital was in lockdown as well. Um, and then obviously the, you know, what we'd normally do mm. on a, an average day was still happening. People were still having heart yeah, attacks and things like that. So um, it did present with a lot of issues. Mm. Um, but then there was also... Um, so I got called into a couple of schools that were in lockdown. Some of the kids were having um, anxiety attacks yeah, right. and stuff like that, and the, you know, and most of them hadn't really been told why they were in lockdown. Mm. And so having to do a lot of the "you are safe here," mm. you know. Um, I guess, like, if you were going into that, those kids that were anxious and saying you were safe here, having the uniform on is going to help that in you know, terms of them get, believe you. Yeah, yeah, we get told a lot that as soon as people see us, they, they take this, <gasps> oh my gosh, like, cool. we're going to fix everything now. And sometimes it's hard because we yeah. we can't fix everything. Yeah, like, yeah but uh, that was kind of my involvement in in the mosques. Mm. But my one of my my students, um, I just signed him off the day before. Wow. And that was his first day. And he walked straight into that scenario. And, and so I, I had to do, I, I chose to watch the video just so I could have an understanding as to what he yeah. saw. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll, and also my other colleagues, because we had to support them as well. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, I know that a lot of people didn't want to, but I felt that I kind of mm. had to as for him. Yeah, yeah I think, um, you know, I was able to kind of have, have an idea of what exactly they were faced with, which was pretty, mm. pretty awful. So some of them are still struggling. Yeah, I bet. With, yeah, it's not something that you see on, on a... Average day. Same with the um, with White Island, Fakati White yeah. Island. I was working on the desk when that happened, right. and so that was kind of my involvement was over the phone and, and but you could still sense the, you mm. know, what was going on there. And these are these are things that you know don't happen on a daily basis. Mm. You know, I mean, I've been to you know shootings and stabbings and and some pretty horrific mm. things. You know, but that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, do you become a little bit complacent with because it's happening on a daily basis? That it, right. 
I mean, anything that involves children, it does affect me. And there are yeah. some some jobs that, you know, will always affect you, that you will carry yeah. on your whole career. There's jobs that I remember when I, my first year that I'll always remember, but it's been a really good learning curve and it's helped me when I'm faced with that kind of job again. Yeah. And But those particular jobs are things that we'll probably never, hopefully never mm. see again. Yeah. I can't, you know, the earthquake... I came down for the earthquakes um, the, the day after they happened. So there was a group of us that were all set down the day before, uh, the day of the earthquake. So I was working um, in Auckland the day of the earthquakes, mm. both of them, because it was my the same watch as me. Um, and then I got sent down the day after, and kind of as we flew in, in one of the army planes, it's a horrible plane to fly in. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those rickety old, yeah. just kind of the whole way. Um, as we flew in... Um, we were kind of met with the guys that had arrived the day before and they were just, they looked tired yeah. and they looked done. Like some were like, I don't think I can carry on with this job. And, and that was just kind of passing going, are you okay, you okay, you okay? Like, and then we had to carry on, but they'd done most of the, you know, the retrievals and stuff like that. And all we, what I was kind of doing, I was doing a lot of the transfers from the hospitals that were moving some of the patients. So you had to take them to the airport to fly them out. Mm. Um, or a lot of the patients that couldn't get an ambulance for that night. Um, and they, you know, older people that had fallen over and broken their hips. and Which there would have been a lot of that sort of thing. Yeah, I well, the, the day of the earthquake, um, I came into station and our station was right next to the comms. So I came into comms and was like, can I do anything? And they were like, could you sit with one of the call handlers because they, they need to ring back a lot of these people. Mm. So um, I had to talk to a few um, elderly people who had fallen over and from their description it sounded like they'd broken their hip or yep. broken a bone. And all I could say was, I'm really sorry, but you're not getting an ambulance tonight because all our resources were, yeah. you know, we, we were doing whatever they could but yeah. um and the advice was you know try and organize someone to be with them so mostly family were with them already but make them as comfortable as possible give them as much pain relief mm. as they can and then just wait it out and yeah. yeah and then one of them that i actually spoke to actually went to the day after was like i spoke to you on the phone so <laughs> some ch some big challenges and yeah. that kind of thing emotionally is yeah, that, yeah. What do you do with that in terms of how do you process that? Um, I remember my first year of um, kind of coming out on the road, I had this mentor who, who came across like very hard, confident, nothing phased him. And I just remember him saying, you're not superhuman, you're not a superhero. You're exactly the same as the person that you're helping. There's mm. nothing, you don't have any extra super special powers you just have a little bit of knowledge, but not a super, super powers. And it's okay to cry. Mm. And it's okay to cry at your jobs. There's been many jobs that I've cried. Mm. You know, I've, we've just announced a, um, pronounced a, a baby dead. I'll cry with mum. I'll, mm. you know, give mum the baby and I'll just sit with her and cry. Or I'll, I, <clears throat> I'll say to patients, you, you look like you need a cuddle. Do you need a cuddle? And then I'll just, if they need a cuddle, I'll just cuddle them. But processing those kind of things, it's all about talking. And St John are quite good at um, organising help in that way, counsellors, things like that, um, and processing it. I've, my sister's an ambulance officer too, so I call her and yeah. we, we talk about our jobs. And we, I, like, I feel like sometimes I need to get some affirmation as to if I've done this job right. Like, this mm -hmm. is the job, this is what I did, you know, what, and it's, it's great having that 
that person um, that you can talk to about this because they have that same knowledge, they have that same experience, and they go, yep. Or, nah, you probably could have done it this way. My, and my sister's great because she'll be open and honest about that. Yeah, but it's it's talking and processing. And, I mean, I've never thought that I'm a superhuman. Um, and some do. Some do think that they have superpowers and there'll be one little job that just absolutely cracks them. Um, but, yeah, right at the start, and he was one of those guys that I would have thought, he is a superhuman. Um, but just his brute honesty and, and, and even him saying, I've cried. I've, you know, I've been angry, I've been annoyed, and we, you don't have to hold it in. And, I, and I've made sure that I've, you know, I have said that to my students as well. Mm. It's okay to ask them if they want to hug, it's okay mm. to cry at a job. Like, the, some of these jobs are flippin' sad. Yeah. Or the awful jobs, like you've just, you know. Um, it's for a lot of people, you're meeting them in their worst moments, aren't you? Yeah, and in some situations we're meeting the worst people in their moments too. Yeah, right. And you, you know, you have to put that aside and, you know, my duty of care to this person mm. is to help them. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, if you need counselling, you need counselling and you've got to talk about it. And, mm. and yeah, and my workplace is pretty good in offering that kind of thing. Yeah, cool. Which is, yeah, I think it's definitely needed. What's the most rewarding part of it for you? What keeps you doing it? <laughs> there are some days where you're just going, I hate this job, I hate this job. There are some people that, um, you know, I've been punched in the face and had my teeth broken. I've been kicked in the stomach. You know, we've had people who we've gone to help that haven't wanted our help. Yeah. Um, but then there's people who do want you mm. and are so grateful to see you. And most rewarding is seeing a positive outcome. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's not, you know, just about bringing someone back from mm. a cardiac arrest. Um, you know, babies, are, it's pretty cool delivering babies. It can be quite stressful because mm. when they call an ambulance, it's always at the situation where something's gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you have that real tense of, oh, and then mm. everything's okay. You're like, oh. you know, um, most, most, of it, why do I still do it? <laughs> Some days I question this myself. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's just the love of the job and it's lo it's wanting to help people. It's yeah. that, I guess I just love mm. helping people and, and, you know, with the knowledge that I have, I've mm. got the ability to do that. Yeah. I guess that's a tricky tension of you, you love it when a positive result comes about, but you're also not superhuman and you can't control all of that. But nice that there are moments that are those special moments for you because just hearing you talk about how traumatic it can be hmm. you know that, that there is a lot of other stuff that you deal with so it's nice that there are those it's not moments to celebrate yeah as well um, if I think of some really cool moments would be you know um, there's a an elderly patient who you get to kind of talk to them and you know you know that they're probably not going to be able to go back home mm. um, and so you kind of find out what what things they, they love and if they love the ocean then you kind of detour a wee bit and mm. you drive towards the ocean and you open the window and you're like can you hear that it's the ocean and, and cool. they yeah they love things like that or mm. I've sung to a patient before <laughs> sung my patient a song um, who was a patient who was dying the daughter said that um, she really loved a particular song I think it was like Amazing Grace or it might have been um, uh, Howard Morrison's song How Great They Are How Great They Are I think it was one of those mm. And and so I just said, how would you mind if I sung? 
and I mean, the, so she wasn't this lady. Was mm. we were taking her to palliative care, and um, and she just had this little tear that rolled down her mm. eyes. And yeah, I got a thank you note saying that it was beautiful, and That's just things special. like that. Yeah. yeah, there's been some cool moments. Mm. Yeah. Have you had any funny moments? Funny? Yeah, like, is there any humour and hilarity? I imagine there's a bit of black humour. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> black humour. Is there stuff that humor. at the time is really frustrating and you look back and it's funny in hindsight? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've all been pooed on, weed on, vomited on. Um, in fact, they say that you're not a true paramedical ambulance officer if you haven't been vomited on. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I, I mean, there's been some... Hilarious. Uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> when you think about yeah. it, it's hilarious. And, I mean, there's those frustrating moments where you go to the drunks and you go to the, the yeah. guys that have, you know, overdosed and stuff like that. And then there was one guy that just got horrendously drunk and then another friend was trying to help him and, and I had him on the side and then he came over and rolled him back and I was like, what are you doing? So we've got to make sure he's on his side. So I rolled him back and then he just projectile vomited all down me. Oh, and it even no. went into my drug pouch and my shoes. Oh, gross. It was, it was, and I just remember being so mad, like, <laughs> see, this is what you drunk people do. Like, it was just, it was just like, well, it's yeah. so funny. Yeah. And then, but when you think about it, it was just like, yeah. that was actually quite funny. My offsider thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Um, hilarity. A, f a funny moment was uh, we were going to back up another crew who just needed a bit of support because they were, they were sedating a patient. And when we were there, his, he was lying on the ground, he was having a psychotic moment, and his flatmates were kind of holding him down, and his, one of his flatmates was all, like his legs were all intertwined around his legs, and he was hanging on. It's kind of really hard to paint a picture. But, so his feet were all kind of twined around his feet, yep. and then he was holding on to the top of his legs. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can imagine him in that position. Like, like a little kid. Yeah. And and I said to the guy that I was working with, um, do, you, do you want me to do anything? And he goes, oh, well, I, I haven't taken a blood sugar level yet, so do you want to do that? So I thought, I don't think I'm going to go towards those fists. And his feet looked like they were quite well contained, so maybe I'll try it on his toe. So I got to this patient. <laughs> I got to this patient and I... I Kind of thought, oh, that's his foot. So I wiped his toe and got my gear out and I pricked his toe. And the guy was the other guy that was kind of holding him down was just yeah. looking at me. And I took his blood sugar levels and then I said, Oh that you know, the five point four and then this guy goes, Um, that was my toe. <laughs> and, <laughs> totally the wrong person. Yeah. But the funny thing is I was just, <laughs> and I just cracked up laughing. It was so hilarious. We were just everyone just lost it. And I was like, dude, why didn't you tell me? Like, I even got the alcohol swell out and I like wiped it. And then, you know, I got everything set up and he just sat there and watched me. And I was just like, yeah. And then, oh, but my offsider, my offsider teaches courses and he goes to a lot of rural areas. And some of the guys in rural areas are a little bit scared to come into Metro because. Sometimes there can be a little bit of a competition mm. and they're a bit scared to come into Metro because they haven't had that same kind of experience and and what you know, what if the officers aren't like, mm. you know, aren't gonna be nice to me or what if I'm not as experienced as some of these officers? So he tells that story. He's like, If ever you're afraid of a metro paramedic, here's a story. <laughs> so yes they stuff up but yeah, I mean I I, I just cracked up laughing. Every time I think about it, I just crack up laughing. And I was just like, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had to write, I had to write an incident report. 
And I was running and my eyes were just watering and my boss came up to me and said, what is going on? And I just, uh. yeah, so now like, I'm pretty sure the whole of the country knows. <laughs> that was, that was me. Oh, now they probably know that it's me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, everyone knows Classic. that story. There's another one that I got, um, I kind of got a, accidentally got a patient to order pizza for all of the nurses at ED. <laughs> Because she was, she was a drunk patient. Well, she wasn't excessively drunk. Like, she knew what she was doing. And we were in ED, and we got uh, we were being ramped, which means that there's just no room in ED. There's, like, so many patients, yep. there's no spaces. Yep. So when we're ramped, it means that the patient has to stay on our stretcher, yep. but we have to stay with that patient yes. because there's no one else to hand over to look after them. Um, and then she was like, I'm going to order pizza. And I just didn't think that you could order pizza and get it delivered to ED. I just never thought that you could that was possible. Yeah. And it was a really busy day. Like everyone was just exhausted. We hadn't had a break. The hospital team were all like you could just tell when it's busy and everyone's tired and grumpy. No one's had breaks. So I just kind of said, Well, if you're gonna order pizza then you might as well order pizza. All you know, all the staff here I'm sure they'd appreciate it. And then sure enough, she ordered forty house pizzas. <laughs> and got them to like she she was like as long as I get my cheese pizza everyone else can and then all of them were all of the nurses got pizza and Classic. and then oh this is probably about 10 years Imagine ago being the pizza guy turning up to ED well I just didn't think it was possible <laughs> yeah. and then I was just like would house pizza actually think that that was for real yeah <laughs> like 40 pizzas and then um yeah every, I was everyone was like oh my gosh you were the person that got her pizza. Oh, that was so awesome thank you so much but, yeah, you um, have to laugh yes. you have to laugh yeah. at this job yeah you have to try and laugh sometimes, yep. force your patients to laugh. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and bring some of that light and, and life into spaces that may not naturally contain them. Yeah. You just have to be a bit kind of light-hearted and mm. try and calm the situation and a lot of, you know, madness. And sometimes it can be a frustrating thing because yeah, I have to remind myself that this is their emergency. Yes. And they yep. may not be able to, they may not have experienced anything like this before because some, sometimes we go what are we going at this for mm. and then I'll just have to say this is their mo like this is their emergency so mm. you know and be a little bit more kind of empathetic yeah um towards that and I mean even with um mums first time mums who mm. we get a lot of that and I you know I used to go oh, you know like you can handle this but then when you become a mum it's like really super hard to mm. take off the mummy hat, put the paramedic hat on and vice versa yeah. and go, well, if I was a paramedic, I'd probably handle this. But then am I just being that overcautious, you know, oh, for goodness sake, you can handle this. Mm. Or is this, you know, and sometimes I I have to ring a friend of mine who's a paramedic and go, what would, you know, as yeah. a paramedic, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, so I feel stupid. Like sometimes yeah. I'm like, I should know this stuff. Yeah. Like if I was that, if I was a paramedic coming to that mum, this is what mm. I would do. But it's super hard being that child's mum. Mm. So you can have some understandings to why yeah. some of these first time mums call for things that, you know, they just are completely unsure about mm. or that, you know, mum, mum's intuition is a good thing. Mm. It's a great thing. And if a mum is questioning anything about their baby, I believe her. Mm -hmm. fully believe it. Yeah. not that I didn't before mm. but it just gives you a little bit more of an understanding as to mm. something's not right here I'm not quite sure what it is I feel completely out of depth yeah. so I need an extra per someone mm. else to come along and tell me 
and then and that's how everyone's situation is it mm. you know and i guess your personal experience of pregnancy feeds into being aware of what could be going wrong or, or you know that that actually yeah. things can go wrong do you want to tell us a little bit about oh, yeah. about um, when noah was born yeah so i i was things kind of started going downhill at about 24 weeks where i started experiencing a lot of swelling like I didn't know if it was abnormal swelling or not. Everyone talks about the pregnancy swelling mm. in your hands and in your feet. Um, but I was waking up in agony, like I, my hands were just like I, I would have given everything to have them cut off. Wow! Like the the agony that I was in, and my auntie was my midwife, and she like I'd ring her and go, you know, a lot of swelling, and and she was absolutely amazing. And then we we had we had to go to Australia to perform at Easter Fest, and we were going to do go there for like four weeks because it was going to be like our baby moon, our last mm. kind of trip away. So we'd organised the stuff, and we were staying with some friends, and like my my face, like my eyes were literally nearly swollen shut. They just looked like little wow. slits. And um, I've still got my driver's license. I had my driver's license renewed like two days before he was born. <laughs> So we went over to Australia and performed at the um, the festival and it was just like, I knew something was wrong and mm. my blood pressure was okay. I didn't have any protein in my urine, which is symptoms of preeclampsia, mm. but just excessive swelling. Um, so they were monitoring it. And then two weeks into our trip, I said, I need to go home. Like I was getting headaches, getting blurred vision, and I knew mm. about preeclampsia. I knew how bad preeclampsia was. And the idea of being in Australia just freaked me out because I didn't know where to go. So we flew back two weeks earlier, mm. and I went straight to my midwife, and she booked me in for a scan, and then she booked me in to see the obstetrician, and she took one look at me and said, I'm admitting you. Um, we need to monitor you. Uh, and then he was born at 32 weeks due to something called HALP syndrome, which stands for hemolysis elevated liver lower platelets. So basically what that means is that mum's organs were just shutting down. So my liver wow. was shutting down, my kidneys were shutting down, um, and your blood, in layman's terms, just completely thins out, so it's got no clotting factor. So you just bleed out. Wow. You just start bleeding out, brain bleeds. and um, so they worked him out fairly quickly. So I remember waking up the day that he was born. Steve came over before he had to go teaching. And they took bloods and everything came back fine. And then two hours later, I was just said to Steve, oh, man, I, I just can't get out of bed. Like, I've got nothing in me. Couldn't go to the toilet. So they came back and did bloods and were like, heck, we surgery now. He's coming out now. And I knew that he was going to be born early. They kind mm. of said, we just need to get you to 32 weeks because... Um, anything under that, we start seeing a few issues with their lungs and things like that. And him, he had completely stopped growing at 28 weeks. Wow. And so they gave me two lots of steroid shots, yep. two lots of, to help develop the lungs. Um, and then, yeah, they whipped him out at 32 weeks. And so he was in the NICU uh, for eight weeks. And he, although he was little, everything was reasonably well developed. They weren't too worried about his lungs. Mm -hmm. So he was born at 2.8 pound and you just could you know one his head on one hand and his KGs? body 2.8 pound pounds yes gee that's little so yeah normal babies would be 7.8 yeah. pound yeah <laughs> i don't know what that is in kg i can't work yeah. it out but um yeah, it was about 1500 grams so so i mean the the concern around it wasn't just for noah's growth and safety was it, it was 
for your safety as well. Yeah. That there was actually real risk around yeah. your health. They kind of um, were implying that there was something going on. I don't remember them specifically saying help. Because if they had, I would have researched it. Yeah, right. And if you research it, there is nothing good about it. Yeah. It talks about a 60% mortality rate, both mum and baby. Wow. Um, it's rare. It's like one in every, I can't remember how many, like 20,000 or something like that. Mm. I'm part of this Facebook page called I've Survived Help Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like, I mean, obviously it does affect baby because if mum dies, then mm. baby dies unless mm. they deliver baby. Yeah, it, it took a long time to recover. Mm. Like even now, I still have long-term effects. Yeah, you know, I was basically told, "Do not have another child," mm. because there is a, a chance that you would get it again. And a mm. lot of, you know, twenty years ago, a lot, a lot of women probably got diagnosed with preeclampsia. But in actual fact, it was help. Mm. And the difference is, is preeclampsia, the placenta is failing. Right. And that in turn causes the toxicity into mum. Mm. So if she can't get rid of it... Right, or, and this is the other way around. And so it? with help, it's like mum's failing. Yeah. And in turn doesn't supply enough yeah, right. to baby. But they don't know why. So you, you ended up having another one? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't go back. You know, we've always wanted two. Two was our kind of our number. And so we, we went back to some of the specialists and said, you know, is this possible um, and they were like here are the risks so we kind of chose to try mm. and um, yeah so we got pregnant with them we ended up losing that baby and mm. I ended up being really sick losing a lot of blood and and then I was kind of like nah I don't want to do this again mm. I don't think I could do this again um, but we, we did it again and I was on some medications to to help mm. prevent it Mainly to help pre to prevent preeclampsia because they just again they just don't yeah. know why, um, so they can do things to help with preeclampsia. Um, so I was on medications for that, <clears throat> and the specialists at Christchurch were amazing. My work was amazing, but I had absolutely no joy. There was mm. no happiness. It was complete and utter fear. And I remember my sister saying to me, she said, that's okay because we'll, take, we'll carry that excitement and that joy. And you kind of feel a little bit guilty because, you know, mums talk about how you have to be positive and mm. be, you know, happy and joyful for the baby because they can feel it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then a yeah. couple of times I was like, Stephen, I can't do this anymore. You've got to take it. You've got to just take him out. Just, you know, I'd have this complete loss mm -hmm. of, of control because I couldn't do it anymore. Which is totally understandable. <laughs> yeah, and I just remember on the um, the I Survived Help Syndrome page, they created this group called Pregnancy After Help, mm. and it was women that were getting pregnant after losing mm. their babies. And and um, so I was just chatting away, saying, "Hey, I'm due this time." And this girl in London called Beth um, messaged me and said, "Hey, we're due on the exact same day." Wow. And then we kind of connected and just talked, and it was just mm. so cool having someone who knew exactly how I was feeling, the, yeah. the, just the fear. And, yeah, like, that, that was a huge help to get me mm. through through it. And then and then at 32 weeks, it felt like everything just went into slow-mo. Mm. And that every all of that feeling that I had with Noah at 24 weeks just start, started to slowly yeah. happen. And then I just kind of had this, yeah, it was like the world just stopped, but time kept going. Mm. It was a really bizarre feeling. And then I got to 36 weeks. And so they took some bloods and my liver was failing. 
and then you know two they were just monitoring it two hours later livers was kind of starting to creep up again and then um steve had a gig so he was like just text me and i'll just leave and yep. he was with another guy called andy he was like i'll carry and he was like i'll carry on and then about 11 o'clock they at night they came up and said oh look your blood's you've got help again and i was like no yeah. <laughs> so 11 o'clock they said yep we've got to take you to the theater tried to get a hold of steve couldn't get a hold of him tried to get a hold of my mum. couldn't get a hold of her rang my sister who was out for dinner she's like i'm coming over and then by then um steve had arrived and mm. <clears throat> and he was born and I was quite unwell for about a week afterwards, just mm. trying to get like my liver um, functions up again. And now Jordan is too. And he's definitely wow. testing yeah. every part of me. Yeah. Like, if I had the power to go back, I'm kidding. No, I really love him. He's, he's yeah. very cute and adorable. Oh, thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, I'm really stoked that you got through those pregnancies, um, yeah. that you had those beautiful boys. Um, and yeah that you're also in a position where you just get to help so many people and so a cool position to be in so on behalf of all of them and on behalf of everyone listening thank you for all you do to help to bring a bit of heaven down to earth oh thanks hello hello heaven well I hear you whisper to come I don't know about you, but that corridor just makes me want to go and hug a paramedic. They deal with so much that many of us will never even have to witness, and they do it on a daily basis because they care about people. I also thought it was so telling of Hannah and her character that she talked about putting aside who the person is and what they've done and just doing her job because they're human and they have a need right now. Not in any way excusing anything, but choosing to show compassion and aroha regardless. What was it that you took from that conversation? I'd love to hear from you. Uh, message me on Instagram or Facebook or at downtoearthconversations.com. All music on the podcast is by Strawn of Commoners Communion. Links to find his stuff are in the show notes, along with links to connect with me. And thanks again for tuning in. If you want to support what I'm doing, the best way you can do that is by telling people about the podcast sharing about it on social media or in conversation because there really isn't any podcast without all of you who listen. Join me next time when I interview David Hayward, known online as The Naked Pastor. He's an ex-pastor who is now a full-time artist, drawing cartoons, painting, writing books and running courses. So make sure you tune in for that. It's another fantastic conversation. Until then, me inoi tato. E to mātou matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia taumai tō rangatiratanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Haumai kia mātou ai nei E taroma mātou mō tēnei rā Muro mātou hara me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga e hara ana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea kia whakawaia e ngari whakorangi a mātou i 